What does a contraction feel like? How do I know if I'm in labor? And what does the day of labor look like? Wait, is this normal? Hey, I'm Heidi. My best friends call me Hydes. I'm a certified birth doula, host of this podcast, and author of Birth Story, an interactive pregnancy guidebook. I have supported hundreds of women through their labor and deliveries, and I believe every one of them and you deserves a microphone and a stage. So here we are. Listen each week to get answers to these tough questions. Birth Story, where we talk about pregnancy, labor, deliveries, where we tell our stories and share our feelings. And of course, chat about our favorite baby products and motherhood. And because I'm passionate about birth outcomes, you will hear from some of the top experts in labor and delivery. Whether you are pregnant, trying desperately to get pregnant, or you just love a good birth story, I hope you will stick around and be part of this birth story family. You guys, my book is out. I mean, it is out in the world. I cannot believe it. I have been writing it for several years and it's just mind-blowing. Birth Story, Pregnancy Guidebook and Journal is a -a one-of-a-kind discovery into your pregnancy that provides you education through storytelling. So what's it really about? In the 16 years that I have served women with every personality type, I noticed there was a huge disconnect between what my clients were craving for childbirth education in a book and the books that were actually available on the market. There seemed to be unlimited resources if you are looking for an unmedicated birth or a natural birth or a home birth. But there just weren't a lot of resources for my clients who were part of the 92% of women birthing in a hospital and very much open to medical interventions like an epidural, nitrous oxide, and opioid medications. So I wrote that book to fill the gap for you. Week by week throughout your pregnancy, you will engage with material meant to educate and empower you as you plan for your own birth story, hospital, medicated, unmedicated, or something in between. You are welcomed each week with a postcard from the womb, which is an adorable note from your baby about their miraculous development, as well as the amazing changes occurring within you. Then you are invited to use an uplifting birth affirmation and to respond to an introspective journaling prompt to document your feelings, curiosities, and wonders every single week. With room to memorialize your own birth story, this book will become a memory keeper and a legacy gift for your baby. You are encouraged to read one of my favorite birth stories each week filled with childbirth education, tidbits, and explanations of important medical terms and procedures. These are real-life accounts shared with permission from the births that I've attended during my career as a doula, and I gave you a great mix. In the 42-week guide to your pregnancy and 42 birth stories, seven of them end in cesarean section. About half are unmedicated and the other half are medicated deliveries. This is a judgment-free book. So take what you need from each element and leave the rest. Okay, are you ready to buy? I would love for you to go to birthstory.com and buy it directly from me. But I totally get it if you're an Amazon girl. You can head to amazon.com and just type in birthstorypregnancy 
and the book should pop up. I'll deliver it straight to your doorstep. And I would venture to say that you might be an audiobook kind of woman because you're listening to a podcast. So if you would prefer to listen to this book, then I have recorded it and it is available for download at audible.com or on your Audible app. Thank you for being part of the birth story community. I am so excited for you to have this book in your hand once you've purchased it and it has arrived. I hope that you will give me your thoughts and feedback and don't forget to take a selfie with your book and post it on Instagram and tag at birthstorypodcast. Welcome, Kirsty, to the Birth Story Podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, no, really. I am so excited. Like, you have no idea. So, Kirsty, I get like, you know, I get some fan mail, but it's not like I have 10 million followers, you know? <laughs> but I was just so excited to get your email. And just this is why I'm doing this podcast. So, Kirsty reached out and basically said that I had played a role or my podcast had played a role in changing the way she was birthing her, or her second child, but third pregnancy. And so I don't know, just thank you for taking the time to like, you know, I don't know, reach out. Well, um, thank you for your podcast because I've learned so much and you are like my virtual doula, like you say on your intro. I wanted to create a podcast because not everyone can afford, you know, doulas are not free and Mm -hmm. not everyone can afford one. And so at least, you know, hopefully this podcast is helping people prepare for the birth that they want, no matter what it looks like. So whether it, what we're going to talk about, which is moving from like a hospital-based birth to an au natural home birth. Um, I'm really excited. Okay. So you had said that you moved. So where do you currently live? Like, tell us about who you are. All right. My name is Kirsty, as you, as you know, and, um, I am originally from Southern California, um, born and raised in Riverside, which is very close to Redlands, California, which is where I went to college. And I have two boys. I'm currently a stay-at-home mom, which is hard, but awesome at the same time. And I am married to my junior high crush, which we were not together in junior high. We got together after college. So we've been, we just celebrated our seventh uh, wedding anniversary and we moved to El Paso, Texas in September. So my husband could be an aircraft mechanic, which has changed that um, job market's changed a lot in the last couple of months. So we are here for um, at least two years so he can start his career hopefully. And, um, and, we did move in the middle of my pregnancy with, or my third pregnancy with my second son. So that's kind of where we are right now. Okay. Well, first of all, how cool that like you and like how many people can say that they married their like middle school crush, which was probably know, right? one of your first crushes you've ever it, it had. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like I totally like remember mine. Oh my God. Chris <laughs> Samson, he was like the cutest thing ever. I mean, we dated in middle school, but like, yes, you can just go right back there, you know? So you guys yeah. met and then got married. I love it. Mm-hmm. Now, um, just so everyone that's listening is, um, Kirsty has had three pregnancies. The first resulted in a miscarriage and yes. then her second pregnancy, your son is two and a half. Yes. Oh, right? is two and a half. 
Owen. Okay. And then your third pregnancy, your second son that was born. Is five months. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, thank you for being so postpartum and, (laughs) you know, being able to come and take a nap time break to record this podcast. I'm really excited uh, to be here. So um, let's, if you are open to talking a little bit about were you on your first, very first pregnancy, the one in which you lost the, the baby to miscarriage? Mm-hmm. Were you trying to get pregnant? Yes. Yeah, so um, we kind of wanted to wait, you know, like three years, establish our marriage, and then start having kids. Um, so in 2016, we got off of protection. And we also just went into it with um, a very open mind. I liked saying I was not, we were not, not trying to get pregnant because uh, my husband's parents, it took them eight years to conceive him and he's an only child. And my mom has endometriosis and it took her, uh, well, she had three of us, but there was miscarriages in between and she was on some type of medication to help her get pregnant. So we just went in with a very open mind that it was God's timing. And, you know, if we could get pregnant, awesome. But, you know, after a couple months of trying, if nothing happened, then we needed to start looking for fertility, you know, at a fertility specialist. So we just went in with just trying to be very positive and relaxed on the situation. And we ended up getting pregnant within two or three months of stop using condoms. So we do not have the fertility problem. Wow. I was going to say that's really fast. How did you like share the news with your husband or did you take the test together? Like I love, I love the like find out. How did you find out? Um, okay. So, um, I actually, I have a very regular periods and I kind of had cramping and I thought it was period cramps. And so I only really know because it was an exact month since my last period. And the only reason I remember that is we were at a spa when it started. So like that was August and then September, I was just like, wait, it's been a month. And I had one of those, um, bags of like $12, uh, pregnancy tests from Amazon that gives you like a hundred. Those are great. So, you know, you can use them and throw them away and not worry about wasting them. So, um, I did a dip, not in the morning, in the afternoon. And it was like, no, I think that one was, it happened pretty quickly. I was obviously a month. And then I went to find my husband and I kind of slipped down the stairs, but you know, it was like all the nerves and stuff. Um, and it was, it wasn't like anything amazing. I was just like, Oh my gosh, we're pregnant. Um, I don't think I could keep the secret of being pregnant or not. (laughs) Did he know you were going to take that test? No, no. I think I just figured it out. And I might, like I said, I never missed a period. So I was just like, took it and like ran downstairs to try to find him. Well, I'm so sorry that I know that that pregnancy ended in loss for you. How far along were you when you miscarried? We were seven and a half weeks. Um, We didn't have insurance. So we went to a clinic in Riverside called Riverside Life Services and they can do free ultrasounds. And so they did an ultrasound and we did see the baby's heartbeat, but it was very it was just like a flutter. It wasn't w- like how quickly it should be. And, and I kind of knew, so, um, they can't say anything cause they're not doctors. They just told us we needed to find a doctor, um, because we didn't have insurance. The options weren't that great. So I had to do some research and I found this beautiful, um, women's and children's clinic in Upland, California, and they 
took care of us throughout the miscarriage, um, did weekly monitorings of my blood levels and ultrasounds and encouraged us to have a natural miscarriage. So it took about four weeks for that to happen. Wow. And then um, at the end of the natural miscarriage, I'm, this is just something I don't know. I'm curious, do they do like a follow-up ultrasound or anything to make sure that everything has passed? So the clinic did. I actually did have to go to the ER for my um, miscarriage because they often tell you it will be like a heavy period. And it was more intense than that for me. For the first eight hours, my body was just like gushing, um, like uterine lining and clots. And we thought like I might have to have a blood transfusion. We didn't know if I would have to have a DNC. So I was about eight hours in the ER until they finally let us go home. Um, and then I did have follow-ups with that clinic and they did do ultrasounds and continued like monitoring my levels, just make sure everything was okay. So did they do anything else at the ER besides just try to stop the bleeding? They, um, they did give me, I think, Cytotec. Mm-hmm. Um, although they said it would cause really painful cramps. So at first I was like, no, I don't want it. Um, but I did not have any, re- I did not experience like the painful cramping. Um, it was just really, I'd say traumatic to like constantly having like large amounts of blood coming out of you. And it was traumatic for my husband. Um, and they wow. did give me, uh, IV, uh, several IV bags cause I was dehydrated. Yeah. Well, I think it's so important that women share their stories like this, especially about miscarriage and loss to help the women that are coming behind us. And so like a couple of the key learnings are like, yes, a natural miscarriage could take four weeks or more Mm -hmm. and that yes, bleeding is normal, but heavy bleeding is not normal. So like, yes, definitely going, they usually say if you could fill up a whole pad within an hour or two, that would be too excessive of bleeding. Yeah. And that's definitely how it was the first eight hours for me. Yeah. So I'm glad that you were able to get to the hospital and to, and to get help. Um, now after allowing your body to kind of, you know, recover and heal mentally, physically, emotionally, your, your marriage, heal all that reconcile with God on what happened. When did you feel like you were ready to try again? So part of that mental healing, um, because even though we had four weeks to prepare, um, once you have a miscarriage, you can't. Um, you can't really prepare for the actual event to happen and the emotions that come with it. There was a book I found online written by a Christian woman who had four miscarriages and I'll, I'll send you the exact um, name and stuff, but it was yeah, called and then they were gone, but I think it's by Becky Avelia. And that book is a very small, very short book, but it was so helpful on getting to a healthy point where you just can trust God that this wasn't, you know, the worst thing that could happen and that there can be, that you can reconcile with God and be at peace with what happened. And that really helped me move on very quickly. So, um, we were, we were told to wait three months and after two periods, cause mine came right away at right after it likes being very regular. We kind of threw a caution to the wind and said, you know, we're trusting God and this is, um, in his hands if we are able to get pregnant again, that is up to him. And we were pregnant that month after. So the, the third month after miscarriage, we were pregnant. 
Wow. Oh my gosh. That's really fast. Yeah, it was. So I know it's like sometimes those rainbows come very quickly, like, Mm -hmm. you know, after, after a storm. So, okay. Well, we really want to get to both of your birth stories because they're so different. So we've got with Owen, like this whole like induction hospital situation that we're going to go through. And then Mm -hmm. with your second birth, we're going to kind of talk about the changes that you made, including adding this podcast to one of the tools in your toolkit to moving towards working with a midwife and a doula for a, I don't even, I don't even know. Yeah. I was going to say, Oh no, it's okay. I I know it ended in a home birth. So I wasn't sure like if you were going to start at the birth center and ended in home birth or what. So we'll get to all of that, but let's walk through like so many of our listeners that are pregnant with their very first child. And then like, how did you end up with an induction? Okay. So, um, one of the things we learned when we were pregnant with Owen and from a doula at a like Lamas class is you labor like your mother. And I went home and asked my mom, mom, how did you labor? How much did you tear? And all those important things. And, uh, she was induced at 42 weeks for all three of us. And she was given an episiotomy for all three of us. So, um, the hospital we were giving birth at, which is a very good hospital in California, uh, likes to induce at 41 and a half weeks. Okay. So Wait, 41 um, and a half. Yes. That's okay. kind of the mark that they like to go for. Okay. So, and you don't, you see, um, I think I saw my OBGYN maybe three times, but every, almost every appointment I saw a nurse midwife because there's just too many pregnant women in Southern California. So this hospital system has you meet with a nurse midwife and then your OBGYN. And if you're a special case, then I believe your OBGYN will deliver your baby. But honestly, you have no idea and no control who's going to be in the hospital when you go into labor. So even though I met with someone constantly, that does not mean she was going to be the one that delivered my baby. Yeah. So this is what we, uh, like in the doula community, like why we advocate so hard for doulas because it's like called continuity of care. Like, yeah, I wish I um, had one. Yeah. Like I'm like, I'm with my clients from like the moment really they find out they're pregnant all the way through yeah. the pregnancy and then through delivery. So it's like, even if they don't know who the OBGYN or the midwife delivering is, it's like for the 24 hours of labor, I've been there the whole time by their side. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's important to note, like if people are newly pregnant and they're trying to get pregnant and they don't know that, Here's another thing too. I don't know about your particular practice, but this is, I'm in Charlotte, North Carolina. This is like really common all over the country. But I always say like, you can always ask to not rotate too. So you like, even so we, if it's not yeah. that person, you know, I don't know if they ever like gave you that option. I think if you're um, high risk, you have more control over that, but, um, we did actually try to schedule our induction with, um, we asked when my nurse midwife would have been on schedule. So we did schedule our induction on a time that we were told she was going to be there. But when we did go in that day, she was not there. So she (laughs) she must have changed. So, um, I, but she was, I, I did enjoy her care and she had, she did encourage me to do stuff like, um, uh, walking sex every other day, red raspberry leaf tea. Um, I'm pretty, I think those were the three that she really uh, encouraged me to try to in, 
go into labor, but I, um, I was dilated for several weeks before I was induced and they kept offering to sweep my membrane, but I wanted to do all natural. And they kept saying, you're not going to make it to your next appointment. You are going to go into labor. So at 41 weeks, they're like, okay, we have to schedule your induction, which was very frustrating. But, um, we were also trying to have the attitude of, you know, healthy mom, healthy baby, let's go in and, and see what happens. So, uh, 41 weeks, we went in on, we called in on a Sunday. Our induction was supposed to be at 8 a.m. However, it was a full moon. So if you have to schedule your induction, look at the calendar. And they told us to wait and come in at 11 because their delivery room was full. Um, so we went in at 11, um, PM, 11 PM, AM, AM. Oh, AM. Okay. Sorry. I sorry, was sorry. like, I was like, Oh my God. I was like, that is so late to start an induction. No. <laughs> it was, it was 11 AM, but they uh-huh. did not indu- start induction until 3 PM. So we sat there for a couple hours. Um, and they started the Pitocin, IV drip. They did try to hook me up with something that would let me walk around without having constant fetal monitoring, but I had too much um, scarring from stretch marks. So I was kind of confined to the bed, but I was, it was a, I would say a pleasant experience. I kept telling the nurse when they came in that I wasn't feeling any contractions and they needed up the Pitocin and they were reassuring me that I was having contractions and that they would up the Pitocin when contractions kind of plateaued. Um, Contractions for me felt like I ate a bag of flaming hot Cheetos. It was just like this warm feeling in my tummy. It wasn't painful at all. So it was very weird for me to know I was in labor, but not really feeling anything. I don't know if that's normal, but that's how I labor. Everyone experiences labor so differently. I mean, like, I really don't even think like we have these broad terms that we use like pain. And I'm like, well, that's not really accurate because I'm like, pain is associated with something being wrong. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, but I mean, surges or pressure waves or contractions, I mean, and, and it's so much dependent on the position of your baby, like the size of your baby, the position of your baby, like if where, what nerves they're laying on. I mean, it's just, your it's very hard to describe, you know, in a, in broad senses, like what someone is going to experience. So say it again. What did it feel like for you? It felt like I ate a bag of flaming hot Cheetos and my stomach was just like, kind of on fire, but not like indigestion, just this warm burning feeling almost felt good. I I hate to say that, but it felt good. And, um, could you feel like a distinct, like beginning of the warmth? No. Or anything like that? No. Okay. So just like a constant warmth. It was just, yeah, it's just a constant warmth. Um, so it's very confusing because like you said, you hear contractions come and go and you can time them. And I, I, didn't really feel any Braxton Hicks or contractions before my induction, um, even though they said I was having them. So uh, it was hard to tell how labor was progressing. Hey, it's Heidi. I'm interrupting the podcast to let you know about a free resource that I've created for you at birthstory.com. All you have to do is go to birthstory.com and then click the tab that says the workbook. Once you put your email address in, an entire resource library of all of my secret sauces are available to you for free 
As my thank you for listening to the Birth Story podcast and being part of this community. At birthstory.com, under the workbook, you will find a birth plan template, articles on circumcision, delayed cord clamping, flipping a breech baby, packing your hospital bag, acupressure points, placenta encapsulation, and so much more. There are over 20 free articles ready for you to download at birthstory.com. Now let's get back to this amazing episode. Now they did come in and ask if they could sweep my membrane pretty early on. And I asked them if it was necessary. And um, this hospital I do know is, you know, they try to let you have a natural labor as much as you can. So they said, well, ask the doctor came back and they were like, you're fine, you're progressing. And then I think around six o'clock at night, they asked if they could break my water. And again, I was like, can I think about it? Is it necessary? You know, I'm very comfortable here. And I know when you break your water, it's going to maybe change everything. So like, why, 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 why intervene? So again, they said, well, we'll come back. So from three to midnight, pretty much my husband, like, slept or did whatever. And I wanted him to have energy in case things progressed. And um, at midnight, my water broke and I was sitting up texting a friend and it just, I felt this pop, but nothing came out until I moved to get off the bed to go use the restroom. Um, And around that time, it was starting to feel more like period cramps. And I kept thinking like, oh, is this when I'm supposed to walk around? Is this when I'm supposed to bounce on the ball? Like, I just didn't know. And, um, and so once my water broke, and the nurse came in, she checked me and I was six and a half centimeters dilated. Wow. Um, That's like, from like really good. Yeah. I know. It is so close to transition, which I know now. Um, but at the time I didn't know what to expect. So I went from feeling a little uncomfortable to extreme pain. And the little bit we learned in the Lamaze class was not going to keep me, you know, calm. And so after 30 minutes of contractions, which Pitocin there back to back, I asked for the epidural. Um, and that's something I did talk to the anesthesiologist before I went into labor, just to answer my questions, sign the paper. So if I wanted it, then it could be given right away without having to wait. Yeah. Um, I'm going to interject yeah. right here, no, Kirstie, because like, first of all, this is like textbook induction in a good way, Mm -hmm. right? Like so Mm -hmm. many inductions can take like five days. You have to ripen the cervix for like three days and whatever, but you came in with your cervix, like really ripe and ready to go, like around three or four, you Mm -hmm. advocated for all these natural things, your water broke on its own. And yes, things clearly can intensify (laughs) after the waters are gone because all that like buoyancy and softness and, and now the like, contractions can, the uterus can just squeeze, you know, stronger, harder. The reason that I wanted to interject is because you had said with Pitocin, they were just right on top of each other Mm -hmm. and we can't go back in time. And I'm not saying this, this is for anyone new listening. If I was with you and I was your doula, I would have asked them to back off the Pitocin because now, so inductions can often for me be augmentations or start starters. Like we actually Mm -hmm. induce, but then back down. So if I had you as a client and you were like back to back surges, 
I would have said, she's in labor all on her own. Let's turn the yeah. Pitocin off or let's turn it way back and then like kind of let your body take over. So anyway, I just want to say that because you didn't do anything wrong at all. It's just that I want people to know that they have options. It's always an option once your water ruptures and you're in a good contraction pattern to ask your provider like, hey, can we back this down a little bit? Can we turn it off? It seems like I'm in labor on my own now. Yeah. And like, I didn't know that information. I didn't know that was an option. And so I started listening to your podcast postpartum and I was like, what? I could have, I could have had a different labor experience, but you're right. We can't go back in time. Right. So, so um, you asked for the epidural mm-hmm. and how quickly did it arrive? Uh, well, it was about, I think maybe I asked for it about 20 minutes and maybe about 10 or 15 minutes later, I got it. I, I can't tell you the exact time. So um, it was really fast. That's wonderful. It was, it was really fast. Um, they weren't like overly busy or, you know, nothing was delayed. I didn't have to wait hours for it. I probably had an epidural within like 45 minutes after my water broke. Okay. Now, because you had this experience, I want you to walk everybody through what it was like to get an epidural. Like, what do you remember uh, about that experience? Um, I remember being told to sit on the very edge of the bed, which is very hard when you're pregnant and bend over as far as you can. So you were kind of just hanging there with your arms hanging down. Um, I, you know, they always say don't move or they'll miss, but the, the numbing shot was the shot that I felt and was the hardest one to sit for. Um, but once the epidural went in, I didn't feel that second needle. And I think the needle is the thing that everyone's like most scared about. It's just like the size or whatever. It didn't kick in right away. Um, so I had another contraction coming and I'm just like, it's not working. And so they, you know, pressed the button a couple times. And, um, I think it probably took like maybe 10 or 15 minutes for the epidural to finally kick in. And then a friend had given me the advice that when you get the epidural to take a nap. So we just decided to take a nap. And so I took a nap from six and a half centimeters to nine and a half centimeters. So at 4.30, I woke up. I asked a nurse to check me. I was nine and a half centimeters. And she kind of just stayed in the room and said, let's try to push the baby lower into the birth canal. Um, She had my husband grab one leg and, you know, get in there. And she grabbed the other. And we just started going through the process. I'm laying on my back of pushing, um, my son lowered to the birth canal. And after that, it kind of got a little weird because slowly people just started showing up into the birthing room. And a lot of people have told me they've only had like three or four people in the birthing room. But by the time I was in like pushing, I must have had like six people, six to eight people in the birthing room. They told me that they were going to go on a shift change in 20 minutes. And I had 20 minutes to push out my son and they think I, they thought I could do it. So with this cheerleading team and my husband front and center um, of everything that's happening, I pushed out my nine pound, 11 ounces son. That's (laughs) sort of crazy and unheard of. I mean, it's not unheard of, but like, wow. I mean, your baby was in a, in an ideal position. It sounds like from the way that it unfolded very quickly, like there wasn't, you weren't having to rotate or have back labor or anything like no. that. But that is a big baby. But I mean, this is, I'm not surprised by that at almost 42 weeks. So I mean, those and, listening to the podcast know mine was 10 sex at yeah. four, 43 weeks. I mean, they just keep getting bigger, you know, yeah, right. that's <laughs> there the scary at the part. End. 
but wow. So you were like, um, on their timeline, it sounds like, and we're like, okay, shift change. Like, let's get this over with. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I should add is I only had a first degree tear and I think the main reason was one of the things I was scared about is having an immense tear. So when that nurse said, we are going to push your baby down to the lower end of the birth canal, I said, I don't want to tear. I want you to get in there and, you know, do everything you can to prevent it. And so every contraction I had, she was rubbing my perineum. Um, so don't, I would say, don't be afraid tell your doctor, your nurse to get in there and do everything they can if you're laying your back to help you, to prevent you from tearing. And I think that really helped. I'm so thankful that you said that. Some other things I recommend is like bring your own mineral oil or olive oil or almond, something like something that you would put in your own eyes, you know, Mm -hmm. that, that, so if the baby passes through it, it doesn't like burn or sting their eyes, you know, but Mm -hmm. some kind of coconut oil, even to like stretch that perineum and help you. And then hot compresses too. So like you Mm -hmm. can always ask your partner, your doula or whoever to like make some hot bath cloths to put on your perineum to help it stretch. So like, that's such an important part, like to have a 10 pound baby and have a first degree tear. Kirsty, that's like amazing. <laughs> well, I really think that God gave us an easy labor because after he was born, things got harder. Um, he was put on my chest for about five seconds. And then they said, he does not sound right. And they took him to the other side of the room. They said he swallowed amniotic fluid and blood and that he would have to go to the NICU. So my birth plan was skin to skin and breastfeeding. I almost didn't care anything else that happened, but those are the two things I wanted the most. And they were the only things that didn't happen. I'm so sorry. It's, it's, I'm like, well, it's, it's okay. It's, it happened. It was something we didn't prepare for. I think I read about anything else that could go wrong, but I did not expect, especially having a 10 pound, almost 10 pound baby, having a baby at like 41 and a half weeks that he would be in the NICU. Yeah. So I mean, he was clearly like the biggest baby in the NICU. I'm he was just huge. Go on. He looked like he ate other babies. Like he was, <laughs> he was so big. And so we weren't able to breastfeed. Um, he was in the NICU for about four days. And thankfully they let us stay at the hospital for about three days ourselves before we got to go home for one night and then came and got him the next day. But, um, navigating the NICU was very stressful. And so go ahead. So what, what would you recommend to moms? Like if they found themselves in this situation, like, what did you learn that you, if somebody right now is like, you know, just gave birth or I don't know why they would be listening to the podcast if they just gave birth, but say they're listening and they're absorbing information and their baby is, goes to the NICU. What are like some key things that you would recommend for a NICU mom? Well, one thing that was really helpful, helpful is we had a friend who had three children in the NICU. And so she came down and she helped us ask questions. Um, that was the hardest thing to navigate is you were told like your baby's stomach is the size of a seed and you're watching them having to feed your baby formula. And that's, it's a lot for a newborn and you are being told your baby has to take a bottle consistently and they can't be discharged from the NICU until they can do that. So, um, just talk to other people who've had babies in the NICU, talk about how, um, how traumatic it is or how stressful it is or how family's not going to understand why the baby's not home right away or maybe why they can't visit. 
And, you know, I'd say talk to your doctor, talk to a lactation consultant, talk to a lactation consultant as soon as your baby has come out. It was five hours before someone got me a pump after my baby was born. And I was asking for one. They kept saying, you will get it in the recovery room. You'll get in the recovery room. But the recovery room wasn't ready for five hours. So when I finally got to the recovery room, the nurse there kind of scolded me for not already hand expressing, for not already trying to pump when I had none of the supplies or the guidance on how to do that. I'm, you know what, Kiersey, you're about to change my whole practice right now. <laughs> I, I tell my doula clients not to bring their pump to the hospital. And hearing you say this makes me think maybe I should be sharing with everyone to just put in your car, don't even bring it up, but put in your car, your breast pump. And I would say if, at least a hand pump, just bring yeah. a hand pump. Yeah. Like the Haka pump, just bring a Haka pump, you know, like, yeah. and if hospitals have lactation consultants on staff, then demand to see one. If your baby's in the NICU and you can't see them for five hours because you're recovering from an epidural and you can't get out of your bed, demand to see someone to help you get your baby the milk they need, like right away. That was probably one of the biggest lapses in the postpartum care that, um, that was the hardest. And I didn't see a lactation nurse until the day after. I also demanded that I have a um, appointment to see a lactation consultant the day after we were discharged because we weren't able to latch. Or, and so I fought really hard to make sure that I could breastfeed him through a tongue tie, through whatever you know issues that came up. So um, he went from formula to breast milk and um, thankfully we were able to nurse for 16 months, but there's just a lot of the transition between, you know, birth and what you expect to NICU and then discharge that you don't expect if you have a healthy baby. So this is really important and I'm just going to kind of recap, like number one, ask a lot of questions. So for me, that tells me like, if, if you have are a NICU mom or you have a friend who is like, get a journal and a pen so you can ask those questions and write down the answers, like mm -hmm. get to see that lactation consultant immediately pack in your hospital bag. This one's new for me, pack in your hospital bag, at least a hand pump or some pump just in case right? If yeah. you can't get to something quickly, then you can take action yourself. And we will link in the show notes to that Haka pump because that's a pretty amazing one. In fact, a lot of moms say it's their favorite baby product it when is. we get to the it's end amazing. of the, when we get to the end of the podcast. Um, so thank you for walking us through that. And just know that, especially when I have my clients that are expecting to take their baby home and it's like surprise, you know, you can never really be truly prepared for it, but just a couple of tips can make all of the difference. You know, um, I'm going to throw in one. It, you got to stay for three days, but if your baby has an extended NICU stay, get a um, hands-free pumping bra and a charger for your pump for your car. If you're driving to and from the NICU at the hospital, that way you can pump on your way there and pump on your way home and kind of save some of that time too, and then bring in the milk you know, with you. So he came home four days later and you yes. were able to establish nursing. It sounds mm -hmm. like. Yeah. Okay. We were able to nurse. So on that 16 month, uh, journey. So how soon after, like, when did you get pregnant again? Like how okay. old was Owen? All right. Um, oh, I don't, I can't, uh, he was 17 months. So we knew that we wanted to try starting pregnant after he was you know, after a year, um, wanted to try weaning him at a year. It took a little bit longer, but that's okay. 
and I went and saw a movie called Unplanned. I don't know if you've heard of it. No. Mm -mm. Um, I would look it up. It's um, about um, a woman who used to work for Planned Parenthood, and they actually show you uh, two different types of abortions during the movie. Um, and it's, it's a drama, it's dramatized, uh, came home and I was like, we are having another baby. It was a very moving movie, very hard to watch, but it just like kind of convinced me. I'm like, I'm ready to get again. Let's, let's start. Um, I didn't know I was ovulating that weekend. So, um, I'm pretty sure Malcolm was conceived the night I saw the movie unplanned. So I am going to watch it tonight. Uh, wow. <laughs> And that, do I need tissues? tissues? Okay. Yes, yeah. You need tissues. Like, yeah. And a friend to call afterwards. It's really, it's a heavy movie. It's a heavy movie. Okay. So thank you for the warning and the disclosure mm-hmm. for me and for everyone else. But like, um, yeah, I will, I will watch it. At least I will try to watch it and I'll let you know if I'm not able to, to finish it. So, well, so, uh, so you quit nursing at 16 months or you weaned mm-hmm. at 16 months and mm-hmm. then you are pregnant right away uh, afterwards. Yeah. Um, marathon mom girl marathon mom i just like virtual hug like huge hug oh it's so hard okay so tell me about your pregnancy with malcolm how did it go say so um with owen at about 12 weeks i found out i had hypothyroidism um i don't have hypothyroidism unless i'm pregnant so they had to put me on um synthroid to um monitor your, my thyroid. And then I would have a blood test every about four to six weeks to make sure my levels were okay for pregnancy. Uh, so as soon as I knew I was pregnant with Malcolm, which I didn't know right away, I went down and I took a thyroid test and the hospital system. Thankfully is really connected. It's a private hospital system. So I took the tests from the hospital's lab. I called my OBGYN and I was on the medication like within a week. And that really helped, um, my like, um, you know, nausea and those symptoms. Like I had a lot more positive idea of what pregnancy is going to be like every time I threw up, it wasn't so traumatic as it was my first pregnancy because I already did it. And I knew that, you know, it would be over with soon. So, um, it was milder than my, my second pregnancy with Owen. It was a lot easier. So many moms say that. And I think too, it's like, we don't know how to teach how to get rid of fear or fear clearing of the unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's like the ultimate in meditation in your first two pregnancies. Like, you know, a lot is unknown and there's can be fear around the unknown, but then like in this third pregnancy with Malcolm, you're kind of like, Oh, been there, done that. I know what this is going to be like. And, and almost like the worse I feel, the better I know things are, you know, kind of thing. But in your case, you just found it to be, you know, that it was a lot more mild. It was, it did last longer. Like the last time I threw up was, I think I was like 20 weeks or 22 weeks, but for the longest time I was able to count on like one hand, how many times I threw up. Um, I do have more aversions when I'm pregnant. Like I couldn't eat meat at all with Owen. It was absolutely, like I couldn't be in the same room as me. It was absolutely disgusting. And I come from a family of huge meat eaters. Like my dad's a hunter. So that was really weird for me. I thought I'd never eat chicken again. So that's kind of how all my pregnancies went with more of a version to foods than actual cravings. 
but I was able to eat a lot more with Malcolm than with Owen. I don't even know how I survived my first trimester with Owen. What would you say is like one of your favorite pregnancy meals? Oh gosh. I don't even know. Is that a hard question? Sorry. I just <laughs> felt a like, hard question. well, I'm asking, it is kind of a hard question, but like so many moms like feel terrible. And I'm kind of like, I've been wanting to ask this question to like so many guests and I haven't asked anybody yet. And I'm so oh. I'm kind of like, okay, if you're pregnant and you feel terrible, like what is a, and you're nauseous, like what's a really good meal you could throw down? Okay. So I could tell you that when I started getting my appetite back and my, with my pregnancy with Owen and I couldn't eat meat, the veggie sandwich, which is like full of provolone cheese and like guacamole. Like I ate like a whole one, like in the one sitting and my husband just started buying me two. So I would have one at home cause I would scarf them down. Like I was like, I was starving. And that was like the first meal I ate that I was actually like able to keep down and feel full. Okay, good. That's a really good suggestion for like a go-to, like a go-to meal. So yeah. Okay. Well, we know where this is going, which is towards a home birth. So mm-hmm. I want you to take us on a journey of how in the world did you go from this hospital induction that was very much on their timeline, everything down to pushing to a home birth? Y'all, isn't this story so good? I can't wait for you to hear all about how Kirsty ended up with a planned home birth. So stick around for the next episode. Thank you for listening to Birth Story. My goal is you will walk away from each episode with a clear picture of how labor and delivery might go and that you will feel empowered by the end of your pregnancy to speak up plan and prepare for the birth you want, no matter what that looks like.